0: From our changing bodies to our relationships to dealing with menopause and aging at work and in society, my mission is to help you to tap into our collective wisdom so you can emerge more powerful, wiser, not just older, thriving and ready to embrace wholeheartedly the next chapter in your life. Welcome to another episode of Thriving Through Menopause. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen, and today I'm going to be talking about a more natural approach, I think, to menopause. It's interesting, isn't it, when you look at how things have changed, how much in the West we've turned menopause into a medical or medicalized conversation. And is that really the way forward? Maybe why has that happened too? So I'm really delighted to be joined today by Angela Council. She's a naturopath, kinesiologist, and menopause coach, and she's had 20 years experience. And when we had our pre-conversation, Angela said so many things that were so aligned with how I feel about this journey. And I can't wait to have this conversation. So welcome
1: to the show, Angela. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be talking to you from all the way down under. Indeed, my old home, Sydney. (laughs) Yes, we're a bit restricted here at the moment, but maybe one day we'll get our freedom back.
0: You never know. I'm sure it will come back (laughs) in time for summer, I hope. I hope so. (laughs) So one of my big questions really, or mid-conversation is, menopause is a normal health transition for a woman. Why has the conversation become all about
1: symptoms, diagnosis, and treatment? I think part of the problem is it hasn't been a conversation until very, very recently, because women haven't spoken about this. They, you know we've been a lot of women are ashamed. There's a lot of stigma around menopause, even though every woman in the world goes through it. So more than half of the population will go through menopause. But there's been this real silence around it. So when a conversation comes up, the people who are speaking the loudest at the moment, unfortunately, happen to be the pharmaceutical companies, the companies that are making these replacement hormones and you know a few years ago you probably you know obviously you're aware that hormone replacement therapy kind of went into a bit of a lull because of the women's health initiative because they said oh there's all these dangers to it before that hrt was the highest selling drug in the world so pharmaceutical companies lost a lot of money and i think now the reason why it's become more medicalized is because that's who's doing the who that's who's They've got more money behind them to do the talking. Yet when we have a conversation, our voices aren't loud enough to be heard, which is why we need to be speaking up louder.
0: Yeah, because it is just part of a women's natural journey, isn't it?
1: Totally. Like it's, you know, I call it puberty in reverse. You know, we come into our reproductive stage through puberty then, you know, most women well, we will go into reproduction, which is you know, our periods and everything. Most women have children. And then the next stage is that we now, we've run out of eggs and now we're coming out of our reproductive years, which is, you know, puberty in reverse. Yes, we've got a lot more baggage. You know, we've got a lot of emotional stuff. Our bodies are different to what they were when we were in our, you know, prepubescent years. But it is just, actually, it's not just, it is a transition. It's a transition from being a reproductive woman, having a full supply of eggs, having hormones that move every month to release an egg and potentially get us ready for a pregnancy. That's not happening anymore. So our hormones shift back to the same level as they were before we came back into this time of life. If we don't go back to no hormones, our shifts just re- our hormones just reverse back to where they were as when we came in at puberty.
0: Yeah, so in a sense we have hormones at maintenance level for our body's normal functions. Is that kind of how we might best explain that?
1: Yes, and I think this is really important because a lot of the conversation around whether or not, you know, you have hormone replacement and whether or not that's bioidenticals or the synthetics is people say, Oh, well, we need to take these hormones because we've lost our hormones, which means we're at bigger risk of, you know, bone disease, heart disease, and all of that. That's not the truth. The truth is our body still makes hormones if our body's in balance. It will still make hormones. It still gives protection, but we need to do a little bit more to help the hormones. So, you know, when it comes to, say, bone health, yes, our estrogen and progesterone levels come down, which means we can have issues with our bones. But if we're eating a healthy diet, our bones remain strong. And the same with heart disease. You know, we still have enough hormone to actually keep our heart healthy. In fact, hormones and estrogen in particular can be made in any cell in the body. And this is something else that's not spoken about. Any cell in the body can actually produce estrogen and our adrenal glands produce progesterone. So even if our ovaries are no longer producing the same amount of hormone, we can still produce it in other parts of our body, but we need to actually have a healthy body for that to happen. And the issue is, that when women come into this time of life, quite often they are run down, they were burnt out, their adrenals are basically, they're kind of on the edge of collapse. And there's just not enough resources left within the body to be able to produce this extra hormone. And all it requires is for us to start looking after ourselves and eating well and resting and you know a bit of self-care which is something that's really missing.
0: It's really missing. And it's missing in the total conversation because I become very concerned hearing women say, when I say to them about managing their stress, which I know is a big thing for you too, they say, no, no, I'll be all right to just take a little bit of HRT. And really not, you're laughing, and I'm kind of, I'm loving, but I'm shocked too, because that's the message that's totally landed, that I can fix this in the same way that I fix a headache or anything else, just by taking something. And that is just not really the case because our body needs so much more, so much more that even if you were to take HRT, it doesn't mitigate all of these other things happening to you. It's a tiny proportion of what we need to do to stay well and healthy rather than as we see women now in later life, they're, they're living longer, but the quality of life is poor.
1: Yeah, HRT doesn't fix the underlying cause of what's really going on, of why you're experiencing these symptoms. You know, and symptoms like hot flushes, weight gain, joint pain, anxiety, depression, all have an underlying cause. And that underlying cause starts with stress, inflammation, insulin resistance. They're the three main drivers of every single symptom that you might be experiencing. So we need to address that. And when we address that, and even if you do go on HRT, address that. And I've got clients who are on HRT, but we address the underlying cause, which means they can come off the HRT or MHT is the other thing it's called because they don't, HRT is the bioidenticals now called MHT, HRT is synthetic. But regardless of what you're on, I mean, I have clients who are able to come off that because they've addressed the underlying cause, and when they come off these extra hormones, they don't have this massive hormone drop, and that's that's a big issue for women who do decide to be on hormone replacement and then stop it. Symptoms come back with a vengeance because they have such a big drop in their hormones when they stop taking the external hormones. All of a sudden, you know, their body's no longer producing hormones because it didn't need to because it's being fed to it by a tablet every day or a patch or however you're taking it. So it kind of almost shuts down its own hormone production. And then you stop taking it. And all of a sudden the body's going, Oh my God, what's going on? You've just taken everything away from me and you crash.
0: Of course. And that is so logical when you said that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Or the other thing is that's, you know, and I know here in Australia, and I've had, actually, I've had conversations. Actually, most of the people that, kind of troll me on Instagram, it seemed to be from the UK. It's a big push of it on over there. And because when I said, well, you know, ideally you shouldn't be on these type of replacements for longer than five years. And people say, well, no, I'll stay on it for the rest of my life.
0: That's not correct. And I'd hate to say that the British Menopause Society doesn't agree with that. Most doctors I've spoken to don't. It's a very popular narrative that is being put out there by people who profit from that.
1: Yes, and you know, and women don't realise that they someone said, Oh, you just stay on it for the rest of your life. But could you imagine, and I've actually heard that this has happened, is that doctors go into aged care homes and they're prescribing and this was when it was hormone replacement, before it was MHT, hormone replacement to 90-year-old women so that they could actually, just so that they could live because any time they tried to withdraw it, the symptoms got so bad because they didn't address what was going on and because obviously stopping taking it caused a massive drop. And when you have a massive drop, you're going to get a lot of symptoms.
0: Absolutely, and I think you really hit the nail on the head about stress, inflammation, and insulin resistance. And, of course, Angela, they're all interrelated with each other, aren't
1: they? Totally, yeah. They're all related to our diet and our lifestyle it's like the food that we're eating, what we're putting into our mouth, what we're exposing our body to when it comes to toxins, and the way we're living our lives. You know, we're living such, I mean, particularly the last 18 months, you know, life has been chaotic, no matter where you live in the world and what's going on. For some people, it might be not quite so chaotic, chaotic, where I am at the moment, it still is. It's like, but it's highly, highly stressful. But even before that, You know, women, you know, because women now are very active when they get to this mid stage of life, you know, they're still working, they're running businesses, they're very, very active, but they're worn out. And most women will tell you that they're worn out, they're stressed. Our lifestyle is stressful. It's very hard to live an unstressed life in the 21st century, no matter where you live.
0: Absolutely. It doesn't, no, you're right. It doesn't matter where you live in the world, we are subjected to working. Long hours. There's a lot. I mean, I think social media has a huge amount of placing us on this. Should we should be doing this and should be doing that. We do just the demands of in most of it's in our heads, but that stress is enormous. We live in a stressful environment in terms of noise and light and toxins. And we have often diets that are maybe we're trying to eat well, but the amount of hidden sugar in there is a shocker.
1: Yeah. And also when it comes to diet, what's healthy for one person is not necessarily healthy for another person. So we need to start looking at the individuality of people as well, rather than saying, well, everyone needs to be on X, Y, Z diet. That doesn't work that way because we are all different. We all have different genetic makeup. And then on top of that, we have epigenetic factors as well. So our epigenetic factors are basically our diet and lifestyle decisions, every single one that we've made up until now, which forms who we are, you know, whether or not I have a specific health problem versus someone else has a different health problem. But it's like, you know, we're all different, and that's where we have to start looking at, well, what does the individual require rather than what is everybody else doing? But, yes, the majority of people are, Eating the wrong foods, alcohol is a big one. Now I'm not too sure what it's like where you live, but here in Australia and you've lived here so you know, the highest demographic of wine consumption in Australia is women over the age of 45. And that is completely and utterly scary. And it's the it's actually the underlying cause of most symptoms. So, you know, hot flushes to do with the wine consumption, excess, you know, weight around the belly, wine consumption, not being able to sleep. Wine consumption—it causes stress, it causes insulin resistance, it causes inflammation. Yet we're still, you know, women still think that you know have a hard day and we need to be having a drink, at, you know, after work to cut to wind down. We can't, as we get older, we're less sensitive, which means it causes bigger issue. And like, I'll be honest—I don't drink now. I haven't drunk now for three years because it was causing me too many symptoms. It was causing me unbelievable pain in my body, and I wasn't drinking much. I'd have one glass of wine on a Saturday with dinner when we went out, but that was enough to keep me in constant body pain, joint pain, aching, couldn't sleep, so I had to stop, and it made a massive difference.
0: Yeah, and I think that is a really key point there, and I think that that plays out Certainly right across the Western world, where I saw a shocking statistic that women's consumption is one to one with men in Europe, Australia, and fast coming up there in the US. And that that was a very sharp contrast, obviously, to some countries where alcohol is banned. And it's interesting how Asian women drink far less and and they also have a soy-based diet, how much they report a lower level of these symptoms that are so prevalent where we are consuming a lot of sugar and a low plant and a high alcohol. But alcohol, yeah, was not good for me. I drink tiny, tiny bits, but it is something that when we take it away, it makes a huge difference to the whole system because it's so inflammatory.
1: Totally. and But unfortunately, our society is built around socialisation of having a drink, getting together to have a drink. And I mean, not where I live at the moment. <laughs> but, but even even looking at that, because, okay, we're in very strict lockdown at the moment still, but the bottle shops are still open. I can get alcohol delivered to my front door anytime I want. And it's like, but I can't get health food delivered because the health food shop's closed. So there's a, it's it's like, it doesn't make sense. I can go and get, you know, a McDonald's. I can get that delivered to my front door but you know if I want something healthy it's a lot more difficult to get luckily we can still go out to the local market so I can still get to the the veggie at the farmers markets to get my fruit and veggies but it's like this imbalance in society is like where are our priorities and when it comes to women we're not looking after ourselves we're not honoring our body and what our body requires and in a lot of places a lot of women are actually they're angry They're very angry at their body because their body's changing and it's not the same as body as it was before and it is not the same and it's never going to be the same. So it's part of this like when do you start embracing the fact that your body's changed and start to create what you want for the next half of your life rather than trying to get back what you had because you're not going to get back what you had. You can't because your body has physically changed now that your hormones have changed. There's a physical change within your body. Same as it physically changed when you felt pregnant. So there is a physical change.
0: Yeah, and we are—you're so right. We have to accept that. That's a huge part of this, Angela. Accepting, and I think that is one of the hardest things because we have role models and I think you know that that show that we're supposed to look a certain way and even though I've seen on Instagram a huge rise of these silver influencers that don't look like you or I or any other woman I know you know have you noticed that I've noticed that yeah I mean come on on. I mean and they spend their whole life training and exercising they have personal nutritionists they go and have their hair professionally created as a beautiful gray etc 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 and that has in some way not helped, I believe, and I love your view on that, for women to transition to a more natural body shape and look as we go into the latter half of life and embrace
1: it and think, well, I'm beautiful, but I'm different. I totally agree with you. Our body does change, it becomes softer. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, yes, a lot of women will put on weight, but you can lose. The majority of that weight, if you start to change your diet and you know, your lifestyle because you drop the stress down and the, the weight will will release, but your body's still going to be softer your skin's not going to be as tight as it was before that is just a given and I know that when I sometimes when I do yoga and I do downward dogs and I kind of look at my arms and I think oh my god like there's just there's nothing there because everything's kind of upside down at the time but when I stand up I know that I'm strong because you know my muscles are there it's just my skin is looser and there's nothing I can do to change that that is just part that's part of the aging process you yeah, know, put menopause aside, it is part of the aging process, is that our skin does get looser, it gets softer, we get softer, you know, around the belly, you can lose weight, but the belly's always going to be softer, and i come back to, like, when we were pregnant, our bodies changed, you know, I know that what my hips looked like before, like, how I used to wear jeans before I was pregnant, and afterwards were different, because my, my hips just changed, and they never went back, and I had to accept that, same as this, it's like, have to accept the fact that your body is changing, but it doesn't mean it's at the downward slide because you can be strong, you can be healthy, you can be vital. You do it, you know, it's like it's a new paradigm of what your body is going to be like.
0: That, I think, is such an important message for for women to hear. And it mirrors what I heard from BK Yanga's daughter, Gita Yanga. And she was saying, well, why are Western women obsessed with sort of tightening up their cores?" And she says, you know, part of it is that we do spread out, but that's kind of part of being a woman. And you spread a little bit and there's more movement and flow there was her view on that very much that this is how a woman's body is. As we get, and we see that more with women, say, who are from a Middle Eastern background or Indian background, they kind of allow that to happen, you know, and there's not this obsession with absolutely flat abs, which isn't really where we are. And it's very hard to achieve that. I can't get there. And I lift weights and I do yoga. So I do, and I try and eat. And no, it's never going to be the same. I just have to accept that I'm here.
1: You know, yeah, I do yoga. I've got a really strong core because I work at it, but its I still don't have flat abs. I mean, I've lost weight because I have lost about 20 kilos. But my focus when I started doing all this was not about losing weight. It was, one, to get rid of the pain, and two, to make sure that I was healthy for the next half of my life. So that meant I had to make a few changes. And by doing that and actually setting my health up for the second half of my life, I was able to release the excess fat, fat that I was holding because I did put on weight I, you know and I was really ashamed of that because it was you know it was more weight than I'd ever held and I was really ashamed of it and here I'm going I'm a naturopath I'm talking about being healthy I don't look healthy I used to wear big baggy clothes then I when I was trying the diet I used to, I tried keto I used to always do keto if I wanted to do keto I could drop kilos didn't work no longer worked so I had to find out what worked for me. And when I found out what worked for me, I just had to make a couple of tweaks and then my body was able to relax and go, okay, just let this go. And now I my biggest love that I love to do is going walking in the bush and doing multi-day hikes and that's all I wanted to be able to do was to be strong enough to do that. I am now strong enough to do that and my body is able to be flexible and move and, you know, I don't get worn out. I don't get sore. I just love to just go off. And that was my aim. Yes, I dropped weight, but it was because I was focusing on what I truly wanted to do. And that was to get out and walk.
0: And that is such a difference from losing weight to fitting into somebody else's image of what is good or bad in their own, in their heads and what's projected, that if we feel good about it, and I think that's one of, your key points, isn't it? How we can feel good about our menopause and experience something different when we have a different set of goals or values around it.
1: Totally. And I see menopause as when we step into our wisdom years. These are our wise years. We are so privileged in our current, where we're living now, how we're living right now, in that we as women coming into our know, mid-stage of life, into our fifties and that, we have got so much potential. You know, we've still got forty-odd years to live. It's not the end, it's the beginning. And for most women, by this stage, you know, if they've had children, their children are now more independent. Now they've got a choice of how they want to live their life. If they Before, the first half was for everybody else. I did what everyone else wanted and you know, I raised children, I did all that, whatever. Now it's my time. This is what I want. And this is where, you know, a lot of women kind of get a little bit of the, you know, if you type of attitude, I'm going to do it my way. And that's when we start listening to what we want. And for me, I want women to actually start listening to what their bodies are telling them. And that's what I want women to actually hear what their bodies are telling them. So if they've got specific symptoms, what messages is their body telling them? And when we start to listen and respond with love, we will be putting the food into our body that our body requires. We'll be moving it the way our body wants to move. We'll be resting it. We will be looking after ourselves and we'll be putting ourselves first. And that's not selfish. That is totally, you're right And it's a privilege, but it is definitely a right to be able to do that. And that's what I see this time of life. It's the opportunity to create what it is you truly want in your life going forward. And apart from everything else that happens when we embrace this time of life, we can step into the glory of who we truly are.
0: Oh, I love that so much, Angela. You may have got goosebumps hearing you say that. I mean, how do women even begin on such a journey? What are the start points? Because it feels that that's what we all really would love to have happen, but it feels very far from where a lot of women are. How do they start that process?
1: I think it's uh, the first step is really just to you know, Because most women are not connected to their, their bodies. I mean, learning more about your hormones, you can do that. But it's actually just starting to treat your body well. We all know what a healthy diet looks like. You know, know, there's enough information out there on the interwebs that, you know, it's not too hard to work out that, you know, eating more vegetables and not eating junk food is actually a good choice for us. You know, dropping the alcohol and not having as much caffeine are better choices for us. So start making those type of changes to start with because when you start to do that, then all of a sudden you get this energy. So that's on a physical level and also then on an emotional level level it's like accepting that this is where you're at in your life but there's nothing you can do to stop this from happening i've had women who come to me and say is there a way i can stop menopause from happening i'm going no it's like it's going to happen and, and doctors have actually i've i had no of doctors who have said to women well if you don't want menopause to happen take the pill because you'll keep bleeding and it's like and i go hang on a minute Being on the pill is actually like being in a chemically induced menopause because when you bleed, that is actually not a period. It's just a withdrawal bleed because you're not ovulating because life, you know, our cycle is about ovulation. It's not about our period. So being on the pill doesn't stop menopause because when you run out of eggs, you run out of eggs. All being on the pill is going to do is continue to have you bleeding when you don't need to.
0: Well, why would you want to do that? It's it's the most painful thing. You know, it's just the pain on every level to have a period. I mean, who wants that? I certainly don't at 60. I couldn't think of anything I would want less. The last 10 years have been bliss.
1: <laughs> HRT, some, HRT, for some women, will keep them bleeding. And that's, that, that can be a side effect of HRT as well, is that they don't stop bleeding, so they continue to bleed for the rest of their lives. I'm with you. It's like... I'm actually quite happy not to have a period. And the is like, we used to even go for the cost. It's like and the inconvenience. I'm quite happy not to have a period. So I don't know why people would want to have a period. Why would you not want to be in menopause? It's like, no more periods. No more chances of falling pregnant. I I don't want to fall pregnant. I mean I I accidentally fell pregnant at forty three. It's like so, you know, I certainly don't want to have another one. Not at this age. I'm just getting through the sixteen year old I'm
0: almost there. It's like, no more. Yeah. And, I, and I, I just think that that's sort of an upside down world, as if somehow any woman wants to continue to have any of those things. And we certainly don't have the same energy. I mean, my son, I was 37, and I couldn't imagine how hard it would have been to have been even older and had another one. And you're kind of, you're rid over it, to be honest. You just, you're thinking, now they're growing up, and I want my life. And so that's not really coming from where women are at. That's coming from, well, I can do this for you medically, which is where we started our conversation. So that's how we can fix you. But it isn't. It's not doing anything long term for any woman.
1: No, and society basically reveres young people. And that's part of an issue. That's the issue as well. It's like women feel like once they get to menopause, it means they're going to shrivel up. You know, they're shriveling up and, you know, they're on the downward slide to wherever. It's, it can't, it's not fair, it's so much, so far from the truth, it's not funny. Because if we look out there, there are women who are making a massive difference in our world. And when you look at the leaders, the, the women that are really changing the way people think, the majority of them are over the age of 50. Because that's where our wisdom comes in. A lot of them are political leaders, and regardless of what you think of their politics, but they have an inner strength. And this is women have an inner strength as they get older. And in fact, there's this thing called the grandmother effect. And maybe it might not be a really great name, but what it means is that women, when they come into this time of life, when they're no longer in this reproductive stage of life, they have this inner wisdom that they guide the rest of the tribe, they guide the rest of the community. That's our role now. Our role now is to step into that wise woman state. It's to step in, to be leaders, to show the women behind us what is possible. We don't want to show them a world where, you know, the only way we can survive is by being medicated. We want to show them that it's possible to be vibrant. It's possible to be healthy and vital and it is, because if we look around, there are women out there who are already doing it. And we go and we find them; they're doing it, which means it's possible for anyone to do it. And this is what we need to know. You know, we need to be we need to be looking at the women who are doing it well, and who are doing it without being medicated. And there's plenty of women out there that are doing it without being medicated. See them as the role models. What are they doing differently? Guaranteed, they will be eating a high plant based diet. Now, doesn't mean you have to be vegetarian, but we do need more plants. They've got phytoestrogens in them which help to balance up our hormones they won't be drinking all of the time you know they'll have occasional drink that's it they will be practicing self-care they will be moving that's what women who are thriving this time of life are doing go out and find them because they're there there's plenty of them there I know because I work with them I teach women to do this and when they finish doing my program they go oh my god I can't believe how much better i feel i have confidence they're doing things that they never thought were possible you know on a physical and emotional level i see it every single day when i work with my clients so i know it's possible
0: yeah and you've got that 20 years of experience that is, that backs that up that just shows that if we keep Doing it, and we look for them. I see them in my community here. I mean, I'm very lucky where I live. I think Scandinavian women are very strong and physically strong, and there's a lot of emphasis on being like that. You know, I think it's something to do with the Viking. If you fall over, you've got to get up and keep going. <laughs> That's what my husband, who's an Icelandic person, says. You know, but I see that. I see that in my neighbours around me here. Many of them are another better five to 10 years older than me, and how vibrant they are in out there with their walking poles and they're out in their gardens. And, you know, there's an emphasis on that vitality and not on being, you know, thin and looking like a teenage girl, because that's not what we are. And we can make differences in our community, as you said, hugely, whether that's on the big or the small scale. And that's what we traditionally did, wasn't it? I mean... In Australia, that's what we would have looked to elders.
1: Yeah, that's our role. That's our role. Our role now is to lead the younger women behind us, to show them what's possible. That's our role. And, yeah, you look at some of the traditional cultures, you know, in Australia, the Aboriginals, you look at the, you know, the Fijians, we look at some of the more traditional cultures, and this is what women do. Women become the matriarch. They are the ones that kind of show everybody what to do. They become the leaders in the tribe. You know they're very, very strong, and I know within aboriginal culture the the women are very strong, very wise, and always looked up to now with West, Western culture, women do not have the same type of respect at all.
0: no, no, because I think once we get like this. We that we're quite frightening. Maybe we're a little bit fiercer, you know. <laughs> and and there's a lot of men that don't like that. They quite frankly, they don't like they don't, no, because we're challenging their authority. And, and that has been then to reverse that, and that's been going on for a long time in Western cultures, I think, that you turn old women into witches that should be burned and their wisdom should be eradicated, rather, as you said, particularly Aboriginal cultures. But we'd see that right throughout any Indigenous culture, how much older women are, are treated with respect and looked up to and
1: listened to. And younger women want to be the older women. In those, in those cultures, that's what the younger women aspire to be when they're living a traditional life, not when they're living in our Western world, but in traditional cultures because that's what they want. They want to be the wise woman because of the respect that they get.
0: Yeah, from other women and from even the men in those societies. That's
1: right, even the men, yeah.
0: So I think that's, that is something for us to look up to. I mean, if a woman wants to get started I mean apart from starting to change her diet how what is that step that makes a woman what is that step that makes a woman change or want to change in your experience
1: I think what generally pushes women to want to make a change is being sick and tired of the the discomfort that they're in like they they want to you know they're either they're experiencing hot flushes or they're in pain or their their weight's causing them a problem so generally the wanting to make a change comes from some type of pain. They want to get out of the pain. It's not ideally the best way to do that because I would love it if women from their late 30s were educated on this so that it it could be preventative. I don't think that's ever going to happen because women don't want to talk about it. But I think, unfortunately, it comes from a place of pain. But then starting to turn that around and going, okay, so what does that mean? I'm experiencing this right now. I'm uncomfortable. My body seems to be speaking to me in different ways than it ever has before. What does this mean? And we always, always need to go back and look at our stress. So what can I do differently? How can I reduce my stress? And whether or not it's the physical stress of the food we eat, the emotional stress, the way we look at our, the world, what is it that I could do differently? And I think really just embracing or accepting and you said before it's the acceptance once we accept that this is happening all of a sudden we've reduced the whole pile of stress and things just change okay well I accept that this is the time of life I'm in you know and I say to women you know like with hot flushes just reframe that let's just call this power surges Every time you have a hot flush, call it a power surge. This is my power coming through. This is my wise woman power coming through. I want more of this. So when you change the way you think of that, all of a sudden it's not, oh, God, I'm having a hot hot flush. I'm sick of these. I'm sick of these. It's like, wow, I'm having another power surge. My wise woman's coming through. You've now just changed that. So you've just taken the stress out of it. And I know this is a lot of the work that you do is that changing the way that we're looking at things And rather than seeing everything as being bad, it's like, okay, so what am I creating? What messages are coming to me? What is it that I need to change? And what do I need to take responsibility for? That's probably a big one. What do I need to take responsibility for?
0: I agree. I think that's a huge one, Angela, because I think we are far from powerless. And the more we look at our stressors and the factors that are contributing, the more we can sit here and say, well, these and these are are entirely under my personal control. With, with the support of people like yourself and myself, I can make real huge shifts here. And then some things I just can't change that, you know, it's like, you can't change some aspects of your life, some things that are going on right now. Right now, you may not, you might be able to do that next week, next month, next year, but right now, this is where I am. And I listened actually to, I joined, or should I say, I joined a meeting with my mindfulness teacher and she's a paraplegic. And, you know, life is tough for her. And she just said, you know, sometimes I just think I can't keep fighting this pain. I'm just going to let it be here. And she said, I immediately feel better. You know, it's unbelievable. She just said that's the whole premise of the work that she does is that we accept and lean into where we are and we stop fighting. And I think that is exactly what we have to do in menopause. We have to stop fighting what's happening and lean into it, change the things we can change and accept, as you say, the
1: rest. Yeah. And you'll then all of a sudden notice that, symptoms just start to go away, you know, things that were causing you a problem, hot flushes, pain's a big one. And because I lived in pain, a lot of pain for two years. I didn't sleep. And it's like I complained about it. The more I focused on it, the worse it got. And I had to get to a stage whereby I went, well, okay, so where am I playing a role in this? And it was the small amount of alcohol that I was drinking. I was playing a role in that. And I knew that. I knew that when I drank that alcohol that I was going to be in pain but I kept doing it. But then once I accepted that I was playing a role, then I went, okay, well, fine. What can I do about that? Well, I could stop drinking that glass of wine every Saturday night and let's see what happens. Pain disappeared because I accepted that it was that I was actually, you know, there are other things going on. I have osteoarthritis in, you know, in one of my hips, but, you know, and that's for many years of doing ballet and things like that. But But I was playing a role in that. And we all play a role somewhere. And this is where we have to, if we accept responsibility, if we accept responsibility of what is going on, then we find that things will change. And and it's hard to explain why it changed. It does change because we're no longer focused on it. And yet it's just something you have to try.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think it, you know, I mean, Carl Jung says it, but we knew it before then that what you resist persists. So we keep on, we become very focused and we see our pain as if it was on a naught to 10 scale, it's 10 all the time. But the reality is that when we can accept and not focus on it all the time, it's amazing that it doesn't. And we see that everything in life is much more fluid, even if it feels very difficult. Women talk about hot flushes as if they were twenty four hours of the day or top it. And of course that's never the really the reality. If we looked, even if they have bad patches, there's always more movement and more flow and times that they're not like that. And if we can capture those moments, it's amazing how we can shift our perspective. And a lot of that is shifting our perspective and then taking away the things that exacerbate it.
1: Yeah, and one of the one of the things I suggest to women is they keep hot flush diaries actually start to notice, when do you get a hot flush? What are you doing? What did you eat? How are you thinking? What's going on? I know for me that, I mean, I rarely get hot flushes these days, but if I've been doing a lot of walking, so a lot of physical activity, walking 15 kilometres or, or more in a day, I'll get hot flushes at night time. Now, they, I enjoy doing that, but it's a stress on my body. So my body will respond on that. You know, they're not that bad. I mean, I get a few hot flushes. It's not that big a deal. But I enjoy walking so much. It's fine. I just kind of go, okay. So my body is just readjusting when I come home because I have stressed it, and that's what you know, walking for you know fifteen, twenty kilometers for five, six hours is going to do to my body. It's going to stress it, and that's okay.
0: And yeah, because and you know that. And I I love that you're getting women to keep a diary but understanding what's going around it because I think a lot of the apps just capture I have a hot flush and then the intensity but not the underlying realities of what's what cause it. Because if we don't know what cause it, what does it mean? It means nothing
1: really. You know, am I having a hot flush half an hour after I've had a a cup of coffee? It's very, very, they, they, they very much Linked. you know, people don't want to know that but quite often particularly if you're adrenally exhausted and you have caffeine which is a real adrenal stimulant that will trigger off a hot flush am i having night sweats at night after i've been drinking red wine you know and people don't want to put that link together either because but once you start to write things down then you start to see the links now doesn't mean you need to stop anything but then you're making conscious decisions and you're taking responsibility knowing that If I have this cup of coffee, in half an hour's time, I'm probably going to have a hot flush. Well, that's okay. I'm enjoying the cup of coffee. So you're making a choice and knowing that you are responsible for doing that, you can't blame the hot flush anymore because you know why it's happening.
0: Exactly. Exactly, and that's the same with stressful situations, which I know can bring that on for other people. We can be not sufficiently hydrated, and and I think if we apply that principle to things like why am I drinking alcohol or what am I eating, we suddenly become able. Well, we're in the we're in the driving seat. We're empowered, and then we're moving closer to become that woman that we want to be as that wiser,
1: older woman. That's right. You know, it is about taking responsibility rather than going, oh, my body's just breaking down. So what am I doing to contribute to the way that I'm feeling? And there will definitely be something that you're doing, whether or not it's something physical, the way you're thinking, something will be triggering a stress response within your brain, which is then firing off the adrenals, which is then throwing the thermostat in your body out. And something you have done has caused that. Or some thought you've had. Now, there are situations that we can't do anything about. You know, what's going on in the world right now? We can't do anything about decisions that are being made above us, but we can change the way that we view it. We can change the way that, you know, we're looking at it rather than getting sucked into the, you know, the vortex it's called social media or the mainstream news or whatever and getting all kind of head up about numbers and everything. I don't know what it's like over there, but, you know, we're getting numbers thrown at us left right and center because we're in a really hard lockdown and it's like and I actually have to my husband watches the news every night I have to walk out and I have to be completely away so I don't listen to the latest numbers I don't really want to know the latest numbers because even you know even if I think it doesn't impact me I know that it does because some part of me some part of my brain is going it's not safe it's not safe and consciously I'm going, well, yeah, no, I'm safe, I'm in my house, And you know. but there's another part that says there's danger out there and that's what causes that stress. That's the subconscious part of our lizard brain and that then pushes us into hot flushes, pain, whatever it is, because all this stuff is going on. So we have to consciously choose or you know, at the moment for me, I'm separating myself from those that type of news. I'm trying to stay off social media because it is so severe where I am, where we're living at the moment that I've had to do that because otherwise it's just causing stress all the time.
0: Yes. And I think that those are the things that are so important that we understand what's going on. We make conscious choices and that's how we go through menopause with much greater ease.
1: Yeah, and it becomes then. This is my choice. This is how I'm going to live. This is how I'm going to show up every day. And there'll be some days which are crappy. That's okay. That's fine. Tomorrow I'm going to wake up, and it's going to be a better day. You have your have your crappy days. Let the crappy days go. But don't make one crappy day, then the next one, then the next one, and the next one. It's like okay. Yeah, I've, I've a dear friend of mine. She says I give myself six minutes to sit in the crap, and after the six minutes is over, it's time for me to move on. And it's like, yeah, we don't have to keep reliving it. it it's that it's not nothing's going to change if we keep reliving it. All it's going to do is going to cause us more stress.
0: Sit in it. Yep, no, nothing changes if you don't change.
1: <laughs> That's right. Yeah, sit there, experience all the crappy feelings, let them go, and then okay, fine. Now what do I want? Let's just move forward.
0: I love that message, Angela, and I just I could talk all day with you, and I think there are some really important points that we've really talked about here, which shows that menopause is a natural journey. we can manage an awful lot of what we experience ourselves, and we can accept the rest.
1: Yep. And really understanding what's happening with your hormones makes a big difference. Don't think that your hormones are wrong. their hormones are not wrong. they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do.
0: Yeah, that's a very important message. We're not wrong. We're not broken. We're actually just going through a natural part of life. Yeah. Angela, how can people get in contact with you and learn more about your work? Maybe even work with you?
1: Okay, so the best place is through my website, which is Angela Council, which is C-O-U-N-S-E-L dot com. That's the best place over there. You'll be able to get an ebook. I've got a free e-book. And you'll find out all the work that I do as well. So that's all on the website or I'm on social media, same Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, everything under the name Angela Council. So you can always find me, my name everywhere. That is fantastic. I'm out there.
0: <laughs> You're out there. And we will be following you as you post on social every day. And we'll I will put those links in the show notes so people can go to your website, connect, download the free ebook. That has been wonderful. It's been a great conversation, Angela. And thank you again for coming on Thriving Through Menopause.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been fun. I love having these types of conversations. And the more we speak about this, the better. We need to be sharing this message out far and wide that menopause is the time when you can totally thrive. This is your opportunity to really create what it is you want in your life. And I love what you're doing. I love the name of your podcast as well.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm 100% with you on that message. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have loved or liked this episode, then I would be deeply grateful if you would head over to iTunes and give it a five-star rating. My mission is to reach as many women as possible, menopausal midlife women who may be feeling alone and asking questions. Why do I feel this way? Thriving through menopause is all about a community and our collective wisdom. You matter to me. Your feedback, opinions, and stories matter to me. And I would love to hear from you. So drop me an email, clarissa at Christensen.com. I genuinely want your feedback and your ideas on the topics that you would like to hear more of on this podcast. And if you are a woman who feels that they are struggling alone through menopause and you need more support, pop over to my website, clarissachristiansen.com. You can find free resources and you can book a one-to-one discovery call with me. Let's start conversation. Thank you once again for listening.